We wanted to be able to give our church family an update on what was happening. Um, as you heard there on the video, you know that uh, this a uh, couple weeks ago we received our missions offering and uh, just wanted to let you know what all has been going on and what has been done with that. So here's what we did. BCC members have been very generous in donating to the Ukraine Relief Fund with over $14,000 so far. So thank you for your generosity to be able to do that. Um, your contributions have been able to fund the evacuation out of Ukraine for our mission partners, Sasha and Anya and their family. They spent seven days on a train to get them to a safe country. And they're currently living with relatives and praying for what their future holds. You have also provided funding to our partner, Zhenya, that he has used to purchase food, fuel, and medical supplies for the people in his area of southeastern Ukraine. He has vowed to remain in the area and currently has taken in many of the orphans that were left behind. You've also assisted our partner, TCI, the Travisky Christian Institute, with funding to now expedite the evacuation from their campus in Kyrgyzstan, which has now been taken over and is occupied by the Russian army. So if you didn't know that, the Russians have taken over TCI um, and uh, they have been able to provide uh, refugee support with food, um, the people there, uh, and lodging as, as they have been kicked out by the Russians. They've still been able to help folks. We have been able to also supplement salaries for three pastors um, for the church in Krimichuk that John and Jenny Gaynor planted while they lived in Ukraine. These pastors are providing physical and mental support to the refugees. BCC has also been able to provide funds to assist with purchase, purchasing necessary food and supplies. And so we just want to say thank you to every one of you who have given uh, of your resources or have given of your time to pray continuously, not only for all of our global missions, but also for the entire country of Ukraine and for those in whom um, our church uh, has known for many years and supported for many years and had relationship with. Um, if you're newer to BCC, um, we have been very involved with Ukraine for just a number of years and have very, very deep relationships with a lot of people there, as well as have sent missionaries to Ukraine so and when everything started kind of going down there, um, a lot of uh, our, our church was um, very intimately impacted because of the closeness. A lot of our church family have been to Ukraine on short-term mission trips and actually been to some of these places. And so let's continue to pray for them. But I just wanted to send you um, not only um, the information about uh, what's happening, but also your generosity and how you were able to step up. So thank you, BCC. Thank you for giving. Thank you for uh, praying. Thank you for trusting God. And we're just going to continue to lift them up. Amen? Let's do that right now. God, we lift up um, all of our various partners in Ukraine and the people of Ukraine uh, before we even get into the message this morning because um, we just thank you for how you're using this church in Bettendorf, Iowa to impact lives and impact eternity Lord, across the globe, and especially in this time of need in the Ukraine. And we just pray, God, for safety for all of those um, who are trying to escape harm's way and those who are trying to hold the lines and who are trying to defend their country. 
And we pray, Lord, that you would bring a resolution to this conflict, that you would expose any plots of evil. And we pray, Lord, that uh, there would be resolution brought and hearts would be softened, Lord, and people would be safe. And we pray most importantly that your glory would be shown, that the gospel would be spread and hearts and lives would be impacted, not only here on this earth, but for eternity. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I found a great quote that I want to share with you. It says this, among Christians, I have discovered something. There is Jesus, and then there are all the things about Jesus that are not Jesus. Jesus himself occupies only a small portion of what is said and done in some Christian circles. Most of what is said and done is merely about Jesus, but is not Jesus. I have learned that stress, strife, disillusionment, dissatisfaction, bitterness, anger, hurt, misunderstanding, and confusion comes from everything that can be said and done by religious people about the Lord and in the name of the Lord, but that does not in fact have anything to do with Jesus himself. I think a lot of times we know who Jesus is. We know about him. We learn facts and figures, and we learn all of these truths about Jesus. But there is a difference between knowing about Jesus and truly knowing him. So we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to talk about Jesus being enough today. So go over to the book of Mark. We've been going verse by verse through Mark and we find ourselves in the sixth chapter. If you'll remember last week where we left off, Jesus had just healed Jairus' daughter. He was a very important official in town, and he heals this little girl who everyone thought was dead. And so that's where we're picking the story up in Mark chapter 6. Verse 1, we're going to read the first six verses here. Jesus went away from there, or the town that he was in where he healed the little girl, And he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. So Jesus travels now to Nazareth, all right? And on the Sabbath, he began to teach there in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Now, it's not talking about... Judas Iscariot, the disciple of Jesus. Judas was a common name, all right? So it's like Mike or John or something like that, okay? So this wasn't the same Judas, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Here's my question for us today. Do we know Jesus or do we just know about Jesus? To his relatives and the people of his hometown, he was familiar He was so familiar that they were skeptical of his authority and they were skeptical of the stories that they heard. You see, they thought that they knew Jesus because they were familiar with Jesus. And so many people think that they know Jesus because they're familiar with him. 
A lot of us can think that we know Jesus because we're regularly saturated in environments that talk about Jesus. And we think that that's the same as knowing Jesus. And we think that it's this idea of the fact that, well, I, I, I play Christian radio in the car all the time. I wear Christian jewelry. I got Christian tattoos. I got Christian, you know, Christian everywhere. Christian bumper stickers. Hawk if you love Jesus, right? If Jesus is your co-pilot, switch seats. You know, all these neat little things that we come up with, right? And, and you know, WWJD, we got the bracelets on. We come to church. We're involved in small group. We're doing all the Christian things, like we're trying to be good moral people because we think that, that, that's good, that's what Christians do. Let's be good moral people. And we may give money, we may give of our time and volunteer and all of these things and all in the name of Jesus. And we're saturated in an environment that has a lot to do with Jesus. But can I tell you that you can do all of those things and be in that environment where you're learning and knowing a lot about Jesus and still not really know Jesus? Jesus said something kind of scary in Scripture. He said that there's going to be a lot of people on that final day that are going to come to him and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, like we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. Look at all the good things we did in your name. We knew about you. And Jesus is going to look at them and he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't know you. So there is a difference between just doing things that we think will make Jesus happy and things that we think Jesus would like because we think that means I know Jesus because I'm just simply immersed in a lifestyle that looks like something that Christian people should do. And I'm in rhythms of doing Christian things. You see, there's more to knowing Jesus than just having an appearance of godliness. There's more to knowing Jesus than just being saturated and surrounded by Christian things. And I think this is part of the, uh, the challenge that all of these folks in this town were facing is that they were extremely familiar with Jesus. But they were so familiar with Jesus that they began to doubt him. They began to doubt his authority. They began to doubt that he really was who others were saying that he was. They looked at him and said, isn't this the carpenter's son? I found this interesting. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but somebody will get excited about this and want to learn more about this. So that same word used for carpenter is also the same word that's used for stonemason, okay? It's just uh, working with his hands. So Jesus could have very well been a carpenter like we think traditionally, building stuff with wood, but he also could have been a stonemason. Go figure that out for yourselves, and you can argue with me later, because uh, I don't care. Um, that wasn't the point. But at the same time, it, it, it's just interesting because we always think of things one-dimensionally. And we think, oh, you know, he's like building tables and chairs and stuff like that. You know, maybe, maybe not, you know. But not truly knowing Jesus hinders what Christ can do in our lives. I mean, it does. It hinders what Christ can truly do in our lives. We see this right here in the scripture. We see that there's things that Jesus wanted to do, that Jesus came to do. And because of these people' un unbelief, Scripture says he couldn't do anything except heal a few sick people. Like that's like a, a, a like really like that's all he could do, right? I think that's still pretty awesome, right? <laughs> that he still healed sick people. So praise God for that. But apparently, the way the Scripture reads leans to uh, lead us to believe that Jesus could have done so much more there, and perhaps 
even came there because he wanted to do so much more, but because of the people's familiarity and because of the, 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 the way that they viewed him and the way that they thought they knew him, Jesus chalked that up to unbelief and all their skepticism because they really didn't see him for who he truly was because there's a difference. When we see Jesus for who he is and we see our need for Jesus, it changes the way we approach him. A lot of people treat Jesus like some sort of seasoning in their lives. Like we're able to construct this wonderful meal and then Jesus kind of spices it up, right? And like that's how we treat Jesus. I don't know, have you guys ever used like that Tony Chashashari or however you say it, like that Cajun seasoning? That mess is good on everything. Like you can pretty much put it on anything and instantly elevates the dish. I mean, it's wonderful. I love that stuff. If you haven't um, gotten that stuff before, go find it. It'll change your life. You may not get anything out of this sermon, but go <laughs> and get that seasoning. And you'll be like, wow, that was a good sermon. Um, <laughs> really appreciate that. And so many times people treat Jesus like that. Like I'll just shake a little bit of that Tony, however you say his last name. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake that on my dish and it just makes it better. And that's how people view Jesus when they're really familiar with Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. They're like, Jesus makes my life better. And so Jesus then becomes a, a, a means to my end that I want to accomplish. And so it's almost as if I'm using Jesus to try to support what I'm already doing because I feel like I'm doing good on my own and Jesus kind of helps every now and then. And that's how a lot of people treat Jesus. And when people treat Jesus that way, it's an indication that they haven't really known Christ, that they know a lot about Christ. If all we're interested in is just the few things that Jesus can help out with in life when things get tough, then we're missing the point of really knowing Jesus. We're missing the point of actually experiencing who Christ is, and really we're missing the point of seeing our need. Because if we really see our need and we really understand our need, then we see Jesus in a different way. Because it's not just Jesus, I'm doing good in life and you help out every now and again. No, it becomes this total dependency. No, Jesus, I need you. Because I know you. And, and I know me. <laughs> and because I know me, I know my need. And I need you because I know who you are. You see, when I know who he really is and I don't just know stories about him and I don't just know facts and figures about him, man, it changes things. It changes things so much. Um, I was a season ticket holder for the Milwaukee Bucks for a couple of years when we lived in Wisconsin. And that was a super, super fun time. And I got to get really close to the team through several events and things that were done and, and, and got to end up doing some cool things with the team for a couple of years. And kids got to go like practice practices and we got to go in the locker rooms and go in the weight rooms and all sorts of fun things that we got to be a part of. And man, my favorite basketball player plays for the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I got to get close to this guy several times, got his autograph, got pictures with him, all that stuff years ago um, back when we were season ticket holders. And it was a blast. And I felt like when I saw Giannis, I felt like I knew him. And I get really excited because I've watched him play so many times. I had basketball cards, memorabilia, bobbleheads, like everything, right? I got so much stuff dealing with this player. And when I would see him, I would get excited because I felt like I knew so much about him. And I felt like he knew me. And I would go and want to talk to him and interact with him like he knew me. But then there's these giant security guys. <clears throat> 
And the security guys are there basically as a buffer between me and Giannis saying, you don't really know him. Because if you really knew him, you would have access to him. But I don't really have unhindered access to him. But I know so much about him. And I could have that feeling of knowing him. And it was so strange because I would watch him play and I'm like, yeah, I remember seeing him last week. Man, I, rem- I know all these facts about his family and his upbringing. And if I approached him and started spitting out all these facts, he'd be like, uh, somebody take care of this uh, crazy person. Security, security, right? Because I feel like I know him, but I don't really have relationship with him. And I don't really know him, so therefore I don't really have the access that I think I do. And I think so many people do this in their walk with God. Man, we we memorize facts and figures and we don't see our need and we don't treasure the relationship. And we don't pour into the relationship side of things. And it becomes this thing where we use Jesus as kind of like the break in case of emergency option. And that becomes about the extent of our relationship with Jesus. Because... What it really reveals about our heart is that we haven't poured into getting to know him more because we think we're doing okay on our own, except for those few times when we realize, you know, we're in over our heads. Can I tell you that no matter how good of a person that you have been, no matter how much you have towed the moral line of integrity throughout your life, Scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that scripture means in essence? It means that all of us have failed at trying to uh, uh, live a life that could be worthy of being accepted by Almighty God because all have sinned. And so somebody had to make this sin problem right. And you couldn't do it on your own because we've tried, man, right? We've tried this whole karma-based thing. We've tried to like outdo the bad we've done by doing more good than we've done bad. And we think, well, then maybe God will like us. Well, it doesn't work that way. That's not how it works. That's us trying to earn righteousness by our good deeds. That's us trying to earn God's favor or put God in our debt somehow by us doing something. And God goes, wow, that's really impressive. You walked that little lady across the street and, you know. You let that person ahead of you in traffic. And, and, and wow, well, I guess I'll let you into heaven then, you know. I mean, that's not how this thing works. If that was the way that it worked, then all of us should be trying really, really hard to earn God's favor, forgiveness, grace, love, mercy. But he didn't require us to earn it. That's not the position God put us in. That's the position every other world religion puts you in. Is that you are somehow in debt and you have to somehow rectify that on your own. The gospel is different. The gospel puts all of the onus onto Jesus to take all of the punishment that was rightfully deserved by you and I, by our sin, by our rejection, by our shortcomings, by our our failure, by, by our inability to uphold God's standard. And Jesus upheld God's standard, came in the flesh, did what we could not do, died in our place so that now we can receive a free gift of grace, a gift of forgiveness, a gift of res- re- reconciliation, restoration in the eyes of God to where now we can approach God, the creator of everything, because Jesus, our mediator, did what we couldn't do. Man, when we understand our need for Jesus, it should stir our hearts in such a way that I want to know him. Amen? If someone does something for you that blows your mind, I, I want to know that person. Why would they do this? 
I want to know what, what on earth motivated. And it was the love of God that motivated this, right? For God so loved the world. Amen? You see, we need to understand our need so that we can truly know Jesus. Let's keep on reading. Um, pick up at verse 7. Jesus called the twelve and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you then they will, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. So here Jesus empowers his disciples in his name with his authority to go out and to preach. To preach what? The same message Jesus has been preaching from town to town in the synagogues. The same message that he's been trying to convey all along. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like the time is now. Repent. And so they're out there preaching. And Jesus says, we're, we're, we're on a mission here. We're not going to just take a bunch of stuff that's going to drag us down. We're not going to bounce around from house to house. No, if somebody takes you in, stay there, minister to the people, preach the message. If they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Keep moving because it's so important that people understand this message. They understand why I've come and that the time is now and that I'm here. You see, Jesus gave them both the message and the authority as his representatives so people would repent and believe. He wanted them to repent and believe because a person who repents and believes has seen their sin and recognizes that the answer is here and his name is Jesus. They understand that they need Jesus. Amen? If I don't see a need for repentance, then I don't really see my need for Jesus. I don't really understand the gospel if I don't think that I have any need to repent. If I don't think that there's cause for me to, 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 to plead with God and say, God, I need you. I see my sin. I see my condition. I see my shortcomings. I see my failures. And I have tried to fix it. And I know I can't. So I need you. When I get to that place, I understand now that I have a need I can't resolve on my own. And that's when I can truly be thankful and grateful for who Jesus really is. The longer that I walk with Jesus, the sweeter and sweeter that the message of the gospel should become to me. And I know a lot of you are thinking, I've heard the gospel, I know the gospel, I've received the gospel. I've prayed, I've done all of these things, but is it sweeter to you than it was yesterday? Is it sweeter to you, is that message sweeter to you than when you first heard it and you first had your eyes open and your heart softened and you believed? Is it sweeter or has it become familiar, just like Jesus going to his hometown? Has it become familiar to where Jesus going to his hometown and everyone's like, oh, we know this, we know this guy. And Jesus may be wanting to do something powerful in your life, but sometimes we just get too familiar and we stop seeing our need and we stop understanding who Jesus is because we're looking for something else. 
We're looking for something else as, as, as we're like, no, teach us the deeper things and, and, and the mysteries and, and all these other things that we want to know about, all these fun figures and all these fun facts and all these historical pieces and all these other things that we need to learn about the Scripture. Can I tell you that all that stuff is good? Nothing wrong with pursuing more knowledge in the Scripture, but that should not override our pursuit of knowing Jesus more. Having more historical knowledge having more knowledge of culture and all those things, that's great to help you understand the scripture more and put it into proper context. But we should not be pursuing all of these little niche things in scripture above knowing Jesus more. Because Jesus truly is enough. Here's our big idea. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I know I've said this before, and I'm not the first to say it, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That means if I have Jesus and I'm on a deserted island, and everyone has forsaken me, I have everything that I need. I have everything that I need. Because there is nothing that this world can afford. There's nothing that can happen to me in this life. There's no experience that should overtake or trump or be elevated above knowing Jesus. Jesus is preeminent, as Scripture says. That means there's nothing above, there's nothing greater than, and there never will be anything greater than. There is no sweeter name than the name of Jesus. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that to the point that, because here's the thing, we know this, and we know it's true. We know that it's true in our heads, but have we allowed this message to penetrate our hearts to where knowing Jesus becomes more than just being saturated in environments about Jesus? It becomes a pursuit. It becomes a passion. It becomes an awe where I am just, I am in awe. Have you ever been to like a really cool like national park or monument or something like the Grand Canyon? Like I'm sure a lot of you have been to the Grand Canyon, right? Like, like that's beautiful. You ever seen the mountains of like Colorado? You ever seen, you know, like, like, like the ocean and how vast and amazing and beautiful that it is? You know, some of you have been to Hawaii and seen like how awesome and beautiful that is. Have you ever seen the cornfields of Iowa? Like... <clears throat> Have you ever just seen these places that just make you like stop and like, like you're in awe of what you're seeing? I, I was riding my motorcycle a few years back and, and I was on my own doing a little personal trip and, and I was riding through the mountains and I saw this one scene and I just had to pull over and take a picture of my motorcycle with the backdrop of these mountains. It was just breathtaking. It was amazing. And you've seen stuff like that, right? Where you're just like in awe and you just want to just like look at it and stare at it and you don't even know why. You're just like captivated by it. You're like, this is amazing. And it testifies to how big God is, Right? And it shows how amazing God is and it stirs your heart, it stirs your affections, it stirs your emotions. And, and you see this, can I tell you that, that that feeling, that sense, that awe should be how we feel about this message of the gospel. And that should only ever be increasing in the life of someone who has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That feeling of awe. That feeling, of when, when I sit around and think about the gospel, when I hold that little communion cup, when I come and worship with the people of God, when I open the scripture, when I'm able to talk to God freely and openly, I should just pause sometimes and go, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? The fact that I can stand up and preach from the, the holy scriptures, are you kidding me? And I don't somehow like get struck down dead because I'm preaching the holy word of God, spirit breathed, and I somehow am surviving this? 
and teaching this, even knowing that I'm not a perfect teacher and I don't get it all right, and somehow God is allowing me to survive speaking his words and on his behalf, oh my goodness. These things should put us in awe. When we sing about him, it should put our hearts in awe. Amen? When we hear the gospel, it should stir us to a place of awe. When we receive communion, it should stir us to awe. When we mess up and we slip up and we have to go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness and repent of what we've done and we can trust that he's faithful and he does forgive us time and time and time again. When we think God's tired of hearing us asking for forgiveness for the same thing over and over again and he still is faithful because his mercies are new every morning and he still forgives you, awe should be stirred in our hearts. Awe should be stirred in our hearts. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's read the rest of this chapter as it talks about the first martyr in the name of Jesus, the first person to die in the name of Jesus for Christ was John the Baptist. Verse 14, King Herod heard of it, uh, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah, and others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So here's John the Baptist speaking truth, telling him that he's living in sin, trying to get him to see his own sin and repent. John's still preaching the message of repentance. Verse 19, and Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him to be put to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry because of his oaths and his guest. He did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So here you see that John dies for the sake of knowing Christ and preaching the same message that Christ has been preaching, this message of repentance, all because this guy didn't want to look bad in front of his friends because he made an oath. Because he swore an oath in front of them that I'll give you whatever you want. And the head of John the Baptist, oh, uh, well, uh, and he was sorrowful over it because he didn't want to kill this guy. He was actually had... A, a fear, a, a decent fear that kept him from killing him in the first place because of this sin that had been exposed and had been regularly addressed. This woman wanted, this, wanted John the Baptist dead and she found a roundabout way to make this happen. And here John dies 
And it's all because he began to preach this message of repentance and he began to speak the truth. And this is my question as we contemplate John the Baptist's death. Is Jesus worth everything? Do our lives reflect our value for Christ? Because before John was beheaded, he was in prison. Is Jesus worth that much to us? Like, where's, where's our line? I feel like too many times we all have this line in our lives that we're not willing to cross. Like, Jesus, I'll, I'll go far. I'll, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. But, ooh, but, but that's going to cost me something. Oh, that's, that's difficult. I, I don't know if I can go that far. I don't know if it's worth that much because I, I need this or that. And we make all of our lists and all of our reasons for how far we'll follow Jesus. And Jesus was regularly exposing people's lines that they had that they would put in place for following him, even though we would say it, especially in the context of, of this gathering of believers, if any of us were asked, how far would we be willing to go for Jesus? Will we truly give him everything? Oh, yes, of course, I would be willing to give Christ everything. I would be willing to do anything for Jesus. I'd be willing to die for Jesus if, if that's what was required. And we would say those things, but when we're faced with that, would we? Would we? Do we? Are we in awe that much? Do we love him that much? Do we know him that much? Do we value him that much? To where truly we are ready to give him everything. Do our lives right now reflect our value for Christ? Because how much we value Christ determines how far we are willing to go for Christ. How much we value Christ determines how far we are willing to go. That's what establishes the line, is the value. It's the same thing that someone in an auction, right? You go to an auction, you've got a certain amount of money, you got something that you got your eye on, you're willing to go so far. And then it gets to that line and you're like, ooh, is that thing worth it? And then the auctioneer is looking at you because you've been a steady bidder. And then you're thinking, well, Maybe I could squeeze a little bit more. Yeah, I could do it. Yeah, sure, I'll do a little more. And then somebody else comes back. Well, what about now? Is it worth more? It's exposing the line. It's exposing your limits. The auctioneer's looking at you and says, is it worth it now? And well, I, I think I could, I could take a second job. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I, guess, I guess I could sell the car. Um, I, I guess, you know, who needs a house? Um, you know. How far are you willing to go, right? Because at some point, someone is going to get to a place where, man, my line's exposed. That's, that's as far as I can go. It's as far as I'm willing to go. How far are you willing to go for Christ? How much of your life are you willing to inconvenience for the sake of Christ? Because how much do we truly value him? Because is he enough? Is he worth losing everything over you see, Jesus talks to one guy and says, hey, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the guy goes, you just exposed my line. You just exposed my limit. To that man, Jesus was not enough. The young man went away sad because he valued his stuff more than he valued Christ. Some people, they, they, they valued being able to, to, to have all of this time to do whatever they wanted their way or to have a, a, a bed and a comfortable place to, to live. And Jesus exposed their lines and he says, hey, I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. Animals do, but I don't. You want to come follow me? Some people had all these other priorities and all these other agenda items. And one guy even told Jesus, first let me go say bye to everybody first. Like, let me just go spend some time with them and say goodbye to them. And he said, 
if you put your hand to the plow and then you turn back, he said, you're not worthy of me. In other words, he's, he's not trying to be harsh. He's just saying, how important am I to you? Like, do you see the value? Like, how, how worthy is Christ in your life of everything? Because if we say things like Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and we ask questions like, is Jesus truly enough? This is something we regularly need to be confronted with because it should help us to pursue wanting to know him more because I want to get to that place in my life where I know Jesus and he becomes enough. Because I'm going to be honest, sometimes I struggle with that, don't you? Sometimes I want stuff. And sometimes I feel like my life is empty because I'm missing this experience or that experience. Sometimes I can get caught getting distracted, getting introverted and feeling sorry for myself about certain things not going my way. And I'm not resting in the fact that Jesus is enough. Sometimes I will spend all this time in anxiety, worrying about trying to control outcomes and the way people act and react. And I haven't allowed Jesus to become enough because I feel like this situation has to be resolved and then it'll be okay. It's like Jesus plus that situation being okay is enough. No, it's just Jesus all on his own. And people can act as crazy as they want and do whatever they want because as long as I have Jesus, I have enough. Well, my marriage has to go a certain way. My kids have to do certain things. I have to have so much money. And then, you know, if Jesus will help me, you know, just sprinkle a little bit, sprinkle a little bit on there, Jesus, make it better. No, it's Jesus being enough. Man, I, I, sometimes I'm there, right? Like, like, have you ever been at that place before with Jesus where you're resting, you're, 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 you're content in Christ? Scripture says that, that godliness with contentment is great gain. I want to be content in knowing Christ is enough and knowing that if I seek him first, he's going to take care of the rest. Matthew 6 and 33, amen? And I know this. But sometimes, man, my heart will go a different direction and get off track. And so my hope is that this message today will help us to realign and help us to remember the value of knowing Christ. You see, oftentimes... We make so much of church about us, about what we want. We focus so much of our energy about us and what we think is important. But in the eyes of Jesus, what matters most? When we know Jesus, we're going to know the heart of God. And when we know the heart of God, we can better understand kingdom priority. We can better understand living in light of eternity. Knowing Jesus at the heart level is very different from knowing him at the head level. Knowing Jesus starts with truly understanding our need for a Savior and resting in that, resting in Him being enough. Help us to get there, Lord, and see how wonderful you are and see our need for you because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus, help us do this. You are good. You are holy. You are enough. 